So at this point, you're thinking, that seems like enough for the service. That was great. You don't have to talk, do you, Dale? Well, no, I'm still going to talk. So, so we've been in the midst of uh, uh, studying the book of Mark. And today we have a very interesting scenario that takes place where Jesus just pushes somebody's hot button. And, and, and he knows the hot button, and he pushes it anyway. And we all have hot buttons, right? I mean, I admit I have a few hot buttons. I mean, hot buttons are those things that if, if you see it or experience it or something comes up, you just go, oh, it just kind of puts you over the edge. Now, I have a few that I'm not, not real um, proud to admit, things like... Um, People not picking up after their dog. Like you're out in the front yard. This happens fairly often in our neighborhood. You're out mowing the lawn, and all of a sudden you go, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not from my dog. Our dog lives in the backyard. Who didn't pick up? And you're just like, really? Really? Common courtesy, you didn't bring the little plastic bag to pick this up. I mean, I remember it happening once. We were at a, uh, a state park going in our kayaks, Laura and I, and so we, they're on wheels, and we're wheeling them down this, this dirt path to get down to the lake, and there are people coming the other way with their big old dog, and right as we go by, this dog just stops right in the middle of this path and leaves a gift, and, and they just kept walking. And it's like, really? Really? Yeah, it, it just irritates me to no end. Another, another hot button of mine is, well, if we're out on our kayaks in a mountain lake somewhere, or if we're out on a hike, or, or skiing, when I go skiing, I love to just kind of hear the, hear the wind whipping by, and, and you, you hear it, and you're kind of in this own little world, but, but you, you go around a bend, or you're on the kayak in this little high mountain lake, and you go around a little finger, and all of a sudden you hear, it's like somebody's playing their music really loud, right there in the middle of this beauty and serenity. It's like, do they think I wanted music and I just forgot it? I, I really don't want to participate in their party in the mountains. It's like, why, why did you bring that out here? That just, it's a hot button. It just kind of irritates me. And probably my third hot button would be the store PetSmart, which is for the same reason as point number one, which is people can bring their dogs into the store. And I remember wheeling around. I was getting some dog food. I don't think I've been back since. Wheel around. It's like, oh, oh, really? Clean up aisle five. I don't like my own dog well enough to have to clean that up in a store. So, so those are some of my hot buttons. I mean, you might say, man, you are shallow. But, yeah, they, they, you know, they just kind of get me. They just take me over the edge. And in our story today, which is a very well-known story of a man Jesus encounters, this man had his, had his hot button pushed. And before we get into the story, we've been working our way through the entire book of Mark. And there are a couple of things we need to just keep in the forefront of our minds, in particular for today's passage. And, and that is when Jesus showed up on the scene, right? He, he showed up and, and he started telling people to follow him. Right, follow me. And he basically is saying, I'm going to teach you what it means to follow me. And we're going to learn what that is along the way. And the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark says, this is the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And we had to understand right off the bat that that word gospel is a huge word. And too often in our, in our church circles, we've limited it to one aspect of the story. And it's absolutely central aspect. Jesus died for our sins and he rose again and we ask him for forgiveness and it changes our lives forever, right? And we can spend eternity with Jesus. But that's, that's a central piece of a big picture of the gospel. Uh, the gospel in this context, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus the Christ. Uh, gospel is everything related to the kingdom of God. It's the fact that God created. It's the fact that Jesus died. It's the fact that the Holy Spirit gives us power to live life. It's the, the fact that Jesus is coming again. All of that is the gospel. And, and when Jesus came on the scene, he, he said, repent and believe the gospel. Repent, repent and believe the good news. And through everything that he was doing, he was showing this kingdom of God. And he's basically saying, I'm the king of that kingdom. And when he says repent, that was another word we spent a lot of time trying to figure out what it is. And the word repent literally means to turn from one thing and to turn towards something else. 
And so throughout the book of Mark, Jesus is basically saying, repent, I want you to, to turn from your old aspirations and your old way of thinking and your old expectations and your old commitments and your old way of living and turn towards these new things that I am showing. These new things about the kingdom of God and what that's like. Turn from that and turn towards this. Keeping those things right in the front of our minds, we, we turn to our passage today in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. It says, as Jesus started on his ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, I, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, we've left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So, so Jesus is as we've seen the book of Mark, and we're, we're past the halfway point. And because we know the whole story, we know that Jesus is really marching steadfastly towards Jerusalem, towards the cross. And in the middle of that, this man comes, and we learn through the context that he's a wealthy person. He has status. He has some kind of stature in the community. And he comes and he falls on his knees in front of Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and we have to understand a few things in this context. First, this was a fairly common practice for, for a person of status and wealth to come and, and come into the life of a teacher, a rabbi, and say, Rabbi, can you give me some kind of um, wisdom for life? You know, I've accomplished a certain amount of things. So good teacher, please, please give me some wisdom, something that I can learn from. And the normal response would be, well, yes, good sir, and then give them some pithy words of wisdom or, or uh, follow this order or look at this teacher and see what they have to say and then go do that. But Jesus didn't respond that way. He said, why do you call me good? Well, we'll come back to that in a second. This man also, we have to understand the context, when he said, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Our default perception of that statement is one we have because we have the whole Bible and we have the benefit of history and we know Jesus as the Savior. And so if someone were to ask that question today, we would talk about pointing to them who Jesus is. But, but Jesus hadn't accomplished that yet, right? He, he, he was just teaching. Nobody knew really who he was. They had inklings of things, and why is he such a great teacher? What kind of power he has? They didn't, they didn't know he was the Savior. And so what this man was asking was something different. He was speaking from that cultural context of understanding, which, as we've talked before, 
God's chosen people, the, the, the Jewish people, had a view that someday God's anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, would come. And that person would be a military or political leader that would rescue God's people and then elevate them again to a place of status as the chosen people, that they would be in control, right? That they, they would be on top again. That was their goal. And that transition point went from the present age to the age to come. And so that idea of eternal life was, what's that age to come? What's that next thing? And at what point will that pivot in history happen? And so when he says, what must I do? This man of status, this man of prominence, this man of wealth, this man who had it all together. How do I make sure that I can be a person of status and power and influence in the age to come? What can I do? Give me some wisdom to enhance that life so I can continue in this good life. That was really the question. How do I go from the present age to the age to come? Not how do I get saved, all right? That, that wasn't his question. That would be our perspective, right? How do, how do I acknowledge and, and make sure good things happen for me in the age to come? And, and so Jesus said, why, why do you call me good? No one's good except God. And, and the, the language being used here is this idea of inherent goodness, Good in and of itself. And so he's saying to this man, you don't even know me. And you're saying, I'm good. And this guy was probably just using common courtesy, right? Good teacher. And Jesus is taking this appointment, this moment, to, to go somewhere else. He says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And, and then instead of giving the normal answer of, you know, seek wisdom, he says, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not steal, don't give false testimony, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. This guy says, teacher, I have kept all of those since I was young. Meaning in that culture, probably as early as age of 12, at age 13, becoming an adult. I've done that since I was little. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Now, now this is absolutely a pivotal statement for everything that follows. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And says, one thing you lack. So, so if I put myself into this story, I'm this, I'm this man, I, I'm, I've lived a good life, I have status, I come and here's this teacher who's, who's proclaimed things in amazing ways, who, who has done miraculous things, everybody knows about him and they're, they're all seeking after him and, and so I come and I fall on his knees and it's a good teacher, I have something to learn. So basically, I've lived a good life. I, I haven't killed anybody, I, I haven't robbed anybody, I, I keep my own stuff, I'm not really into coveting. I, I try to be honest. I, I honor my parents. I mean, sometimes probably not, but you know, I, I do a pretty good job. I'm a good guy. Can you give me something to make my life even better? And, and Jesus says, there's one thing you lack. And I'm going, sweet, one thing. Only one thing. I'm one thing short of perfection. This, this is amazing. Okay, okay. What's the one thing? What can I do? One thing. This is a great day. Now, Mark doesn't really tell us the one thing. Like, there's some secret, right? We have to figure the context to figure out what is it that he lacked, right? What is it this man lacked? But Jesus did say there's something you can do. And we find it amazing when he comes and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That There's this assumption that he can do something. That's a first interesting point. Huh. He thinks he can do something. Jesus said, okay, I'll give you something to do. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, then come follow me. And what follows is maybe one of the saddest portions of Scripture in, in, in all the New Testament. It's that his face fell. He was sad and he left. Why? Because he had a lot of wealth. 
Now, one thing we have to keep track of here is Jesus in this statement was not giving a prescription or a, a uh, formula for everybody to follow that says, hey, if you have money, uh, in order to be loved by Jesus, you have to sell it all and give it to the poor. He's not saying that. He's, he's looking at this very particular incident with this man, and, and Jesus knew his heart and says, basically, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, then come follow me. The emphasis is on the, then come follow me. That's the, the pivotal point. Come follow me. What, what has he been doing this whole book of Mark? Come follow me. I'm going to show you what it's like to follow me. I'm going to show you what this kingdom of like, and it's unlike anything you've ever thought of before. Come follow me. But something's hindering you from following me, and it's your wealth. And so you have to repent from that. You, you have to turn from your old aspirations and, and what drove you before and where you found security and, and, and a, a sense of status and position was in your stuff and your wealth. So, so in order to follow me, you're going you're gonna to have to repent from that and come this way and learn these new things. And it says this man couldn't do it. He, he, he couldn't let go of that. And so he walked away sad. He, 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 he didn't know how to Repent, and that's a, it's a devastating section. And we really ask ourselves, so, so what is it that he lacked? How do, we, how do we gather that? Well, on one level, he, he thought he didn't lack anything. Right? I mean, he had everything. This was a man of status and power and position and wealth. And so he didn't have any physical cares. He didn't have any needs that way. He lacked nothing, but in thinking he lacked nothing, Jesus is basically saying, you lack everything. What did he lack? He lacked everything. He, he lacked this perspective of how to see God. I think we could also say that he lacked trust. Jesus laid out these commandments, which if you'll notice, these were basically some of the Ten Commandments, and they're the ones that dealt with interactions with people. Murder and theft and honesty and honoring parents. That kind of, those are about people things. These weren't the commandments about how you relate to God, which are much broader and not as easy to check the box. And so he says, these commands, yep, I've kept all those commands. And now Jesus gives him another command, go sell all your stuff and give it to the poor. And follow me, Let, follow that command. And, and, and we land in that area too very easily. We, we want to follow the commands. We are willing to follow the commands that suit us. And the one about murdering and robbery and lying and honoring parents, yeah, I got those. This one, yeah, that's a command that doesn't suit me. Well, we could also say that the man lacked... Um, compassion. Because what we've seen in this story is everything he came to Jesus about was his own stuff. This is all about him. What can I do to inherit eternal life? This is about me. What must I do? And, and Jesus says, here's what you can do. And he couldn't do it. And he lacked compassion because it was all about him. It was all inward focus. And Jesus says, sell all you have and give to the poor. There's no compassion there. It's all about me. And what I can get out of this and what can I do and those great assumptions and presumptions about what I can accomplish through my actions. We, we might say that this man had plenty to live with but nothing to live for. And, and, and that ruined his life. What, what's interesting is that what follows, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. 
And then it says the disciples were amazed at his words. And we have to understand when, when Mark says they were amazed, it wasn't like, yeah, this is awesome. Way to tell him, Jesus. You said such powerful truth to that guy who doesn't get it. No, this, this idea of amazed, they were amazed. They were completely shocked. Because they had always been taught, and their theological premise was that material material stuff, having wealth, having financial wherewithal, that was a sign that you were blessed from God. That's what they lived. That's what they banked on. And so they're looking and saying, this guy who has everything we aspire to, these are the people that are closest to God and their wealth shows it that God has blessed them. You're saying he's far from the kingdom? That does not make sense in our minds because that's not what we were taught and that's not really what we believe. That's, that's not the foundation of things. We, we thought that kind of affluence was an evidence that God was at work in them. And I would dare say we, we kind of live in that same space in our society where we automatically assume we look at people and say, wow, they're just getting ahead. They bought that new house, that new job. Everything they touch seems to happen. They, they must be living right. God, God's really doing things for them. Their, their affluence is a sign that God blessed them. And money is the number one thing Jesus talks about in the Gospels. He never says, if you love me and you're blessed by me, I will give you financial stuff. Never. The closest we have is that he's kind of neutral about it. Hey, what you have, what are you going to do with? But but remember all the warnings about money and things. It's It's always a warning. Beware of the evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Beware of mammon, money and wealth. You you can't serve two masters, right? Money and God. You can't can't serve one. And and most of us in this room, I know I fall in this category, I think I could serve two masters. I think I could be the first. And, And so we pray that way. God, I know this stuff is really possibly dangerous, but I would really like it anyway. And so we make this assumption that that if God loves us, he will give us stuff. And that's a dangerous place to go to because he never promised that. In fact, why would we assume that wealth and financial rewards is automatically a blessing from God? God's going to reward us with a thing he warns us with and about the most. There are implications there we have to wrestle through. It's a tough one. And that was this man's hot button. If you want to follow me, if you really want eternal life, you need to sell all you have. Give it to the poor. Let go of those old ambitions and aspirations and turn to new ones. Then follow me. That, that was his hot button. We said at the very beginning that this phase Jesus looked at him and loved him. That that's the pivotal point. This wasn't just a matter of Jesus picking on somebody. Hey, okay, we'll see how you handle that. Go sell everything, give it to the poor. No, it says he said that to him because he loved him. He loved him so much that he was willing to go to where it's uncomfortable in his life. And that's an amazing place that, that we find ourselves with God. Amazed, it's like, well, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus is saying, it's impossible for him or for you. But with God, everything is possible. 
What I find amazing is that when, when Jesus said it, it, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom, in other words, he's so caught up in this other stuff, he can't do that. Jesus refers to his disciples as children. He says, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. And if we've paid attention over the last few weeks, if we were here about the book of Mark, we had two major passages that came up talking about children. One was Jesus brought a child in front of the disciples and said, if anyone wants to serve me, right, the, the, the first shall be last and the servant of all, you have to serve those that are like children. And we, we looked in depth at the idea of children in that culture. It, it wasn't the way our culture is where we make children the centerpiece of our world and we put our schedules around them and we make sure that they're right activities and we do everything for our children because they're all about future and possibilities and, and potential, right? That, that wasn't the view of children back then. The view of children back then was, I mean, that carried on the family name, but they really were the bottom rung of the socioeconomic ladder. They didn't have anything to offer. They were powerless and without status. And so when Jesus says you need to welcome ones like these little children, that's what true greatness is. And then, then in last week's message, it ended with the passage about, he brought another child and says, if, if anybody wants to enter the kingdom, they have to come like a child. They have to grab onto and, and, and accept and, and love their littleness before a mighty God. That's what it takes to enter. And so he's already told people, what does it take to be part of the kingdom? You have to be like a child. And he reminds that of them of that today by calling them children. Children, it's hard. Remember, you have to be able to be low and welcome these little ones and be one of these little ones. He already told you what it's like to be the kingdom, and it's not about the status. And then Peter said to him, and in our experience of Peter through the first half plus of the mark is that he, he tends to miss the point, as all the disciples do. They tend to basically exhibit incredible failure. But he starts to get something here. He says, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus basically said, yeah, you have. And he said, I tell you the truth, that no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age, homes and brothers and sisters and children and fields and, and persecution. You also receive eternal life. I remember earlier in the book of Mark, Jesus was in this crowded house and, and people couldn't get in. His family thought he was crazy, so they came from his hometown. And, and the people said, Jesus, your mother and your brothers and sister are here. And Jesus' response was, who, who are my mother and my brothers and sisters? Because he, he, was, he was redefining family. And he says, family is those who do the will of God. Jesus is promising something amazing, that when you follow me, you may think you're giving up something. You're actually gaining everything. You're gaining a bigger family. You're gaining a bigger opportunity. You're, you're, you're gaining the incredible things that become part of being the big thing, which is the kingdom. And this man couldn't see it, and, and, and we can't see it. He says, this is the opportunity. This is what it means to follow me. You're gaining all these things that maybe are different than you ever thought they would be, but it's the place of forgiveness and confession and grace and mercy and love and, and abundance in ways that this upside-down kingdom says matters. Follow me. And this sad story of Jesus, because he loved this man, was willing to go to where it could be painful, pushed his hot button, this man walked away. It's incredibly devastating. His life forever changed in, in, in a wrong way. Can you think of another story in, in the Gospels where somebody comes to Jesus with a need and they left with the same need? And it's just because this man wouldn't listen. 
and he was offended by the hot button being pushed. This passage makes us, forces us to ask the question, so what's our hot button? And I mean a real one, not the stupid ones like dogs leaving presents in your front yard. I mean, something real and substantial. And in this case, uh, for this man, it was wealth. It might, it might not be that for all of us, but, but it can play out that way. I remember, man, it was, I don't even know how long ago now, 1998, we, uh, uh, my family and I planted a church in Highlands Ranch and started with a core group of people, met in our home. And our, our approach back then was, hey, this, God gave us this home, and so we need to, and we're going to use it. And so we started with this core group of people in our, in our house, and all the kids met in the basement. And after a while, you're going, yeah, those, those kids in the basement are starting to destroy things. You know, but, but, but this is God's stuff. It's God's home. It's his stuff. He's given it to us. Maybe they'll come to know Jesus by destroying our basement. But then it starts to switch to, but we're all supposed to be good stewards. And eventually what mattered most was the stuff and not the kids in the basement. And It's easy to go. I remember another story. I used to pastor a little church out in Aurora. And I remember times in our sanctuary, and we didn't have a really big space. We had this sanctuary. And as when I was a kid, the sanctuary was a great place to like play hide and seek and to laugh and run and play, right? I mean, it was great. But there's always that one guy in the church who's like, what are you kids doing in here? This is God's house. And I'm going, let them play. God loves little children. There's one day he turned the lights off. It's like, are you kidding me? Because the stuff and and what they thought this should be was completely outside of the realm of what should happen. And too easily we move from, say, yeah, this is stuff, and we're going to honor God with this, to, yeah, but I've got to protect it. And I need more. Uh, Maybe our hot button is um, your job. Maybe you like the particular title that you carry. You like the prestige it has or the, the honor it gives you, the deference. Or maybe you just like being a boss. Or maybe your job just kind of defines who you are to people. And, and it's great to work hard. I think it was a commandment in the garden. It's a commandment to us. We're supposed to love work. Work is good. But can that become a hot button that stops us from knowing Jesus deeply? That's a tough one. I mean, maybe our hot... Our hot button is, boy, is our pride. You know, how do people view us or see us? And I, I know pride is a hot button of mine. It's point, I, I love to be right, and I'm willing to prove it. And even if you convince me that I'm wrong, I'm still going to hold on to what I said, because somewhere there's a caveat or a loophole. In fact, I'm feeling pretty proud right now of demonstrating my transparency to you that pride is my hot button. I mean, those things are subtle. And there are so many times, like, Jesus can push that hot button that daily pride is getting in the way of you knowing me more deeply. Are you going to turn away from that and follow me, or are you going to keep holding on to that? Because that's what matters. That's where you find something. It's easily a hot button. Wondering what people think. There's a great book I read years ago called when, uh, when People Are Big and God is Small. We care more about what people think about us than what God thinks about us. We're more concerned about, well, I didn't show up right, and what are they going to think of me? And, uh, I need this person as a friend because they have influence. And then maybe that friend is, is a hot button. That's a tough one. Or I'll even go so far to really 
poke some hot buttons and say, sometimes our families could be a hot button. And we say, no, 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 no. We're supposed to care for our families. We're supposed to raise them well. I'm supposed to be a good parent and a strong parent, a loving parent. And I'm supposed to be a great husband. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. But and sometimes our, our desire to make everything work perfectly, that can become our hot button that stops us from knowing Jesus more deeply. Man, there, there are some implications there we don't even want to get into. But, but is that a hot button? Maybe a sense of entitlement is a hot button. You know, things that have happened in our life that we've gone through, things that we think, hey, I've sacrificed that for my family or, or, or for Jesus. So, so he owes me something now. And, and there's a sense of entitlement. I talked about the church that we planted. I started in our home and it grew and it was a great experience for 10 years. We eventually closed it. We just about lost everything. I'm sure Jesus owes me something for that. Boy, that could keep me from knowing him deeply if I live in that sense of entitlement of what he should or shouldn't do for me. That's a hot button. And sometimes it gets pushed. Why? Because Jesus loves us. He loves us. So he's willing to push that button and say, let's wrestle through that. Are you, are you repenting and turning from that? He does it because he loves us. Maybe there are physical things like addictions or habits. That's a hot button. It's like, yeah, yeah you don't know my life. And what I go through. Don't go there. Hot button. It prevents us from knowing Jesus more deeply. And he wants us to address that. Maybe it's something that seems very, very harmless. Like recreation. There are things I love to do. I love to play golf. I love to get out of my kayak. I love to fly fish. I love to hike. I love to get out into nature. What's wrong with that? Well, maybe that becomes such a focus for mine. It stops me from growing deeply in Jesus. Some things are just perfectly great in and of themselves, but we put so much effort in. We, we think that's where we get security and stability in life. And Jesus is saying, no, my life is what you need. I'm going to push that hot button. And we go, eh, no, no, don't need that. Don't go there, Jesus. These are, these are tough issues with, with deep implications in our life, and, and it really takes honesty. You see, see, as much as my pride hot button has been pushed, and I'm surprised it still works, bing, bing, because it's always there, and I still wrestle with it. I still want to be right. I still want to show up as the one people want to turn to. I still want to be seen as, wow, you know, Daly's amazing. I like that. But it's a hot button that easily prevents me from knowing Jesus more deeply. And it's a daily life. Having a hot button pushed is a daily experience with Jesus, with the, the Holy Spirit. What, what does it say the Holy Spirit's job is? To, conviction, to convict us of righteousness, right? And so that hot button gets pushed. And, and my prayer for all of us is that, that we, we learn to listen and we don't just say, uh-uh, back away, I, I, yeah, don't go there. Because remember, why, does, why is Jesus willing to push our hot button? Why? Because he loves us. He, he looked at this man, he says, you lack one thing. And he said that because he loved him, because he desperately wanted to see this man give up and turn away from these things that controlled him, that brought a false sense of stability and security. He says, leave that and sell it and follow me. That's where life is. And this man couldn't do it. It's a sad story. And each of us in this room are just like that man in some area of our lives. Jesus, don't want to... Yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, I'm, 
You call it pride, I just call it talent. I can make excuses. Jesus pushes the button because he loves us. And he says, follow me. This is where life really happens. And when he picked, painted that picture, of what does it mean to follow him? He, he had all this in mind. The, the, the way we, we talked last week, the way we, we deal with and have strength in a marriage is by we're both like children. We both come with innocence and without power and without status and without honor. And say, we're doing this together. Why? Because God is huge. And he equips us to live this way. And, and that's how it plays out practically. And he wants to see that in us in every aspect of life. To enter the kingdom, you have to be low. You have to be like a child. This man could have given up these things like a child, but the, the point wasn't the giving up. The point was the following, and they were hindering him from following. So we pray today that Jesus would push our hot buttons. And he's probably pushed them before. And maybe he's pushed them so often that we ignore it. Like somebody trying to sell us something on our front door. Just, it'll go away. It'll stop eventually. But Jesus does it and he keeps ringing the bell and keeps pushing the button because he loves us. And he knows there's something so much deeper and so much better and so much more awesome than what we're clinging to that we think gives life.